I'm delighted to announce that this podcast is now sponsored by the Heaton Boxing Academy. It is Ireland's most popular boxing and fitness class. They have three locations across Dublin, located in Sandyford, Lansdowne and Grand Canal Docks. You burn over 600 calories during a class and also get to meet new people and enjoy yourself as the staff there are really, really great. And I do mean that. So go check out their site. It's linked below or else can be found at hedonboxing.ie. And why don't you sign up for their 10 class program while you're at it? And if you DM them on Instagram or email them through their website with the discount code RALLIN, you will get 10% off the usual price. So how's that for a deal? All you got to say is RALLIN. And you get 10% off, just like that. First 10 classes, 10%. Great deal. So get involved, get fit, and bring some positive energy to that place. I'm telling you now, you will not regret it. It's great for whatever fitness goals you have. Just go, use the discount code, and thank me later. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rallon's Rant. My guest today is Owen Costello, Owen is an illustrator, a personal trainer and a type 1 diabetic. Owen, thanks a million for coming on the show first and foremost. We're over the toughest part for the listeners, by the way, that was a bit of technical issues. And I know you're a fellow Irishman, except you're slightly across the pond. But with all that said and done, how are you today? How are you, Richie? Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. It's always good to speak to another diabetic, and uh, especially if, if you're an Irishman. Um, <laughs> yeah, delighted to be on, to be honest. Uh, I always love rambling on about diabetes whenever I can. So, um, yeah, looking forward to it. It should be good. Yeah, no, me too. It's, uh, it's a rarity you get to waffle on about such a subject that is so, <laughs> so obscure yet so important to you. So... Before we get into the subject matter, which we have touched on a little bit there, I always start off the podcast in a cheesy manner and always chat about the early memories and all that. So like what I'd like to know and give the listeners a bit of a backstory is like, where did you grow up as a child? And like, what are some of the memories you think back on or stand out to you when you think back to those early days as on Coslo as a youngster? On Coslo as a youngster. Um, yeah, I had a, had a really, really good childhood. Um, I obviously are from Ireland, I'm from a place called Bray, it's on the coast, beautiful town, if I say so myself. Um, I was always really into sports, I was always very athletic, um, was always involved in various different sports, like running, rugby, football, um, and then obviously I yeah, had, to, had to go through the whole school system as everybody does. That went well too. Um, I always worked hard and I was always ambitious growing up too. Uh, but sport was always kind of the big one for me. I always wanted to, I, I, like, I always wanted to be involved in sports really. Um, so when I was growing up, football was kind of the biggest one for me. Um, I played local teams and then as that progressed, it got more serious and I got onto the county team and then um, the Leinster team. and then. I uh, I ended up actually getting a couple of trials for Ireland. I know I know it's typical for people to say, "Oh, it was an injury," uh, mm. but I went off injured on on, on both occasions, uh, so that didn't work out as planned. Um, but you, other things happen, other other things come up, so I never look back and regret it, you know. Um, but as a whole, yeah, my childhood was great. I love it. I look back on it, um, and I, I almost miss it sometimes, you know, because. There's barely any cares in the world, and you don't really appreciate them until you're older. Mm, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So that was it, really. Mad mm. into sport. Football was the big one. Um. Yeah. And it's interesting you say Bray. I always make the joke from people that live in Bray. It's the one place on the Darst that is given the exact same name in Irish as it actually is in, <laughs> in English. Exactly. Yeah. This next up, Bray. 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 Right. Yeah. Course, yeah. <laughs> A timeless, yeah, stupid joke. But um, yeah, no, that's Absolutely. interesting just about the sports and stuff like that. And I can definitely relate to 
especially looking back on it now being in my mid-20s, looking back to when you're in your teenagers where whether it's in school, outside of school, playing on Sundays, whether it's football, playing Saturdays, whether it's rugby, number one, the body could actually manage all that without having to suffer the next day. (laughs) But yeah, it is a certain time where, as you said, from especially uh, where for the most part, it kind of kind of pushes you in a certain direction, especially with sports. And then a lot of times with school and sports, it kind of shapes your friends and stuff like that. So I definitely can relate to that in some way, shape or form. And I think yeah. on when you're through the school stages and the childhood is more or less coming to its its natural conclusion. Like I remember when I was saying fifth and sixth year, I was thinking what the hell I'd do with my life and what I'd even start studying in college or number one, would I even actually get a good enough leaving cert to leave the bloody place? But it gradually fell into place <laughs> in the end. But I was just thinking like heading towards the end of your time in school, senior school, did you have like a, a clear idea what you wanted to do in college and what you wanted to make a career out of? Or were you like myself and so many others going in a bit blind? Um, Yeah, I, I was going in a bit blind, to be honest. Like the two big things for me growing up were, were art and sport. And I always knew that I wanted to be involved in them in some way. I just didn't necessarily know what that would be, you know? Um, So basically when i was when the years were coming in and time was time was taken and i had to apply for um for a course in the cao form or whatever it is at home can't even remember now at this stage um obviously i there wasn't anything really sporty that i wanted to do in terms of like sports science or whatever at that stage so i was thinking i'll go down the, the art front so um i was always always mad into drawing and loved any sort of art really um so i was thinking right that's what i'll do that's what i want to do i want to be an animator so i applied for a portfolio course initially t- uh, to do after six after the leaving cert and then you do this portfolio course and then from there from there on you apply to art college so basically i did a year portfolio course very very intense it was actually in bray and my portfolio was um, specifically tailored towards applying for animation. So I ended up doing that course. I actually got 600 points out of 600 on my portfolio and then got into an animation course in IADT and Dunleary. Um, that, again, was a very, very intense course, four years long. Um, and then it was kind of like throughout those four years, was kind of the stage that I, I started getting into the gym more seriously. Mm. Um, and it was almost like as college went on, I became less and less interested in a career in animation, which was kind of sad because I was putting so much work into it and I'd learned so much and it was such a big part of my life at the time. Um, but deep down, I just kind of knew that that's not what I wanted to do. It wasn't, it wasn't, active enough for me and I want to be I want to be moving and I want to be healthy and I know you can do those things anyway but I just deep down I knew I didn't want to be a be an animator so that that kind of shifted towards fitness more so even when I was in college so the last year or two was tough because I kind of knew I didn't want to do it but I was in so deep within the course that I was like look I put in this much work I want to get a good degree, even just to have that degree. Yeah, exactly. I mean? um, so I stuck, I stuck with it, got the degree, graduated, as you do. And then, and then yeah, it was done. It, it, was, it was kind of like when I got my diploma, I almost knew that I, I didn't even want to be involved in animation. I, I will always love it, but as a career, it was never something that I wanted to do, really. Mm. I'd say that's oh. a pretty interesting experience having your graduation day and everyone else being like, oh, I can't wait to do some animation at a higher level or go on to a job. And deep down, yeah. you're looking at the certificate <laughs> yeah. in front of you, the piece of paper being like, right, I need to either get another one of these and something completely different or else just put this up on the mantelpiece and let it watch, watch it gather dust. But exactly. it's funny you say that because a similar thing, happened to me far less interesting but like i was dead set on 
being a sports coach, a rugby coach, and probably going into teaching for, I'd say, from the age of 19 to about 23, 24. And even in that time, I was in a band for two and a half years, and there was even a time where I had to make a decision whether I wanted to stay in that. And if I did that, I would have to drop college, drop all my work, and I ended up leaving the band because I couldn't make that commitment. And then further down the line, I made a similar decision where I was like, right, I actually don't want to become a teacher. I want to do the nine to five slog. I've actually an interest in that, blah, blah, blah. So it is interesting how you start off thinking something, whether it's to study a degree, maybe start off in a job somewhere. But like just in those four or five years, leaving school and through college and out of college, the amount of people I hear dropping out of colleges, changing jobs, going from A to yeah. Z in the space of a year. It's but, absolutely mental. Yeah. But I feel, I feel like, the, like the age between kind of 18 and 24, 25, there's so much going on in your life. You know what I mean? And mm. it's, it's difficult to decide what it is you want to do for the rest of your life, you know? And these things can almost change week to week, month to month, when you go through certain phases of things or whatever. And it's hard, it's, it is really hard to distinguish what, what it is deep down that you want to do, you know? And it's funny, I used to always have this conversation with my dad and he's, I'd say he's, he's 63 now, I think. And still to this day, he says, sure, Owen, I don't even know what I want to do when I grow up. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's, uh, it's fair it's, point. Yeah, it's tough, it's tough. It's t- yeah, it's, it's tough to, to to really decide you know yeah i don't think we ever do maybe maybe we just live our lives yeah i might do that one day but yeah without getting too 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 bogged down into the philosophical meaning behind what we'll do (laughs) with each other and do with our lives but no it is completely fair like as i said you're studying you're meeting new people you're going (laughs) into rail and going to canada going on j1s you just get exposed to so much every year when like half of the people just aren't ready to deal with those just culture shocks and experiences as in you're ready to deal with them but it's very interesting that you say that because you can get easily influenced by those different things but I suppose that would lead me on to and similar enough to myself like the the main thing so during college like I suppose one of the questions I'd like to ask is you were saying there you started off intent on illustration you always were sporty had a sporty background and then as you said the injury it's like one of those guys in the pub being like, I could have played for Leinster if I didn't do my ACL in fifth year and stuff like that. Yeah, but... no, I know. <laughs> that, I, I don't want to come across as if like, <laughs> I'm not justifying that at all. I, would, I, I, I wouldn't have made the team anyway. It was just, yeah. it was just unfortunate at the time, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. So I'm just like, just, I suppose, start from the beginning of your diabetes journey is obviously the diagnosis and for those of you who don't know basically how it comes about there is well i'm just speaking on behalf of myself and everything i've heard from other people who have it like it's it's a couple of weeks build up till the actual day you get diagnosed so just explain to me what exactly happened in the week or two leading up to the time where you probably went to a doctor or in a hospital or where god knows where and you were told you had it, but like, what was the build up? What happened? Basically, tell me your story from how basically you went from having a pancreas that was sound to one that kind of checked out and went off on holidays early. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, it's funny actually that you, you bring that topic up right now because I've just got an alert on my phone saying that my blood sugar is high. <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs> Irony. So yeah. Basically, um, I'm sure as, as, yeah, I'm sure as I'll um, as I'll explain my my scenario, it's probably going to be exactly the same to yours because generally the symptoms are identical. Um, so it was around Christmas time. I was, I think, nineteen at the time. So Christmas time when you're nineteen, especially in Ireland, you know, you're going out a lot. You're spending a lot of time with friends. You you're going to bars drinking and you're having a good time you know and you, you don't really have too many cares in the world at that age especially around christmas yeah and um, so it, it was almost like getting overnight my i was really 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 tired all the time I was constantly fatigued i remember i'd be sitting i'd be sitting down and watching tv and 
just like that, I'd fall asleep uh, for no reason. I had no energy, um, constantly thirsty. That was definitely the worst part. I remember I'd be standing by my sink and I'd be downing pints of water, downing pints of water, and I'd still have this like unbearable thirst that just couldn't be quenched. Um, and I didn't really think I didn't really think anything of it. It was actually my parents that that kind of said it to me. They brought my attention to it, and they said I had lost weight. I didn't really notice because it's like a kind of gradual process. But I had lost yeah. weight, um, and it was actually Christmas Day. I was in mass, and as I go the one time a year, <laughs> I'd seen a friend who I hadn't seen in a while, and she came up to me and she. she she was asking how I was and this, that, and the other. And she said, you, you look really different. Did, you, did something change about you? And I said, no, well, not that I know of. How do you mean? And she goes, I, d- I don't know. You just look different. But now looking back on it, it was because I had lost so much weight. I lost about a stone and a half in the space of a month. So anyway, after, after this, my parents were like, all right, you should go down to the GP, just get a checkup. Still, me naively thinking nothing of it. Uh, went down and got a blood test. And then about two or three days later, I got a call early in the morning from my doctor. He, he woke me up. I'd actually been out the night before. And uh, <laughs> he says, is this on? And I said, it is. And he said, it's Dr. Blah, blah. And uh, diabetic. And I was just like, what? I uh, mm. couldn't believe it. He goes, uh, you need to get into hospital right now. So I said, okay, right, that sounds serious. Obviously, it was serious. Uh, it didn't really sink in at the time. But I went into my, I went into my parents' room and I said, uh, I got a call off the doctor and I'm diabetic and I need to go into the hospital. And the two of them nearly had a stroke. You know what I mean? Like yeah, they didn't I know. know what was going on. Um, so rushed into Lachlanstown Hospital there in, in Dublin and, um, or Shankill nearly. And, uh, basically straight on a drip my blood sugar was 38 which was like dangerously high and and for people who aren't diabetic listening your blood sugar ideally should be between about should should be between about four and eight um that still doesn't really make much sense but to put it into perspective eight is 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 high really but mine was 38 um so they said if i had waited another day or two I would have went into a coma. Um, so straight on the drip, uh, I was in the hospital for a few days. And that's kind of when it sunk in that, you know, like like most 19-year-olds, you don't know anything about diabetes. You know what I mean? And when you're yeah. told you're diabetic, at first, all I thought was, all I have to do is stop eating sugar or I just need to watch my diet. And simple lifestyle changes like that, you know? But it's only over the years living with it that you realize the, like the true severity of it and what it really entails and like what kind of comes with it, you know. But yeah, it was obviously a bit off. It came out of nowhere because, like I said earlier, I I am um, I've always been fit, fit and healthy, and I've always been into sport. And me, diabetic. What are you talking about? I couldn't believe it, you know. Yeah, no, it is. It, it's not an easy one, and I suppose while we're at it, we might as well exchange stories and it's very there's so many parallels between yourself and me i suppose the only negative that i could probably outdo you with was i i found out in an air well got a huge hint in an airport yeah i want to hear your one yeah so i i was actually quite fortunate because i'd probably been a hugely overweight at the time well not hugely but overweight chunky and i ended up losing 13 kilos in about two weeks i'd say two to three weeks um, is what I noticed. And my parents thought I'd just gone on some mad fad diet. But everyone noticed. And the typical thing, I remember being in Trinity, meeting a few of my friends in the cafe. And they were there like, oh, having a water or a coffee. Yeah, I come back with four seven-ups and downed them, I'd say, in about two minutes. And half of the people were like, right, that's just Richie being a bit of a complete lunatic but the other half were like that's not exactly normal behavior (laughs) and lo and behold two days later I'm traveling over to Liverpool to watch them against Real Madrid with my old man 
I'm doing the same with him down and pints like there's no tomorrow. He even who would pride himself on being a guy who can handle a few pints. He was shocked. Like I was knocking back Carlsberg as if I just ran a marathon and needed the thirst. So I was there chugging away. Liverpool obviously lost the game. So to compound, compound the error, so to speak, the next morning we're in the airport and my dad made the comment saying, you know, you went to the toilet about six times last night. And I was like, yeah, I've been doing that now for weeks. It's weird. I, I keep going to the jacks every single night five or six times. And he's like, that's very odd. So then while I'm waiting for the gate to open in Liverpool airport, I start fiddling around on my phone and start Googling, why am I going to the toilet six, seven times a night? And then the first thing that came up was recommended was you could potentially have ketosis or diabetes. So then I was right beside a boots. So I go into a boots and lo and behold, they had this just like really like nearly Tesco-esque blood tester in which it was only like two pounds. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, can I buy it? Cause I was at this stage, I was like, Oh, I need to check if this works. And I checked my blood. It was 30 something. And I looked and I was like, right, that, that surely can't be right. It's just, a, it's just avoid the actual reality of the matter. So I fly back, didn't even mention it to my dad. Then found myself in college the next day, not being able to see the whiteboard because my vision become so blurry. And then the next day I just pretty much quite literally couldn't yeah. get up the stairs. I was so weak. And I ended up just going to my parents. I was like, listen, I, I, I feel like I'm about to have a heart attack. So we go down to the GP in Vincent's, whose nickname in our family is Dr. Death, because he always presumes the worst. And in this case, he was actually spot on, though. He yeah. took uh, a urine sample and bits and bobs. And lo and behold, immediately, he was like, oh, no, you've got diabetes. It's, it's certain. There's no chance. And obviously, it's a my mom. Machine. Yeah, that's my mom straight away was like, no, he definitely doesn't. He definitely doesn't. And he's like, oh, no, no, he needs to go into A&E. And I sit in A&E for about four hours, eventually get seen to. And then just like yourself, it's just so sudden. Like, it's not like there's really many tests. They just had a sound doctor come up to me who's just like, yeah, you've type 1 diabetes. And then immediately you kind of go, well, ugh, is that because I ate so many dairy milks or what's the crack? And then about an hour after that, you're there, your brain's completely fried. And then the kind of expert doctor comes in and explains everything to you. And then eventually tells you there's nothing you could have done to prevent this. This is pretty much one of those illnesses that comes upon you. It's not led by diet or lifestyle. <laughs> it's quite literally the look of the draw. And he's like, do you have anyone in the family who has it? And I was like, no, no one in my family has diabetes. No one in my extended family has it. And he was like, yeah, you're just one of the very, very few that's just been dealt the the bad card in the deck. So I suppose the worst part of the whole thing was obviously the parent side of it, them being so worried and feeling guilt, even though it had nothing to do with them. But then, as you said, it only really hits you when you're just left alone on that with the drip, nurses coming up, injecting stuff into you. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And then just as you spend more and more time with yourself, no one else, the odd nurse comes along it suddenly dawns on you that like the, the, the Richie you were two days ago is some guy that's just, he's not going to be seen again. There's going to be a different Richie and you just need to make sure you come to terms with that. And I suppose the question I have for you is that, and like looking back on it, I yeah. think it's definitely made me better physically. I'm in the best shape of being in about six years. Mentally, I think it makes you so much stronger. But I just mean on the initial the initial side of things because that was the two three weeks that followed my diagnosis were probably the toughest i've ever had from just uh just getting to grips with what lied ahead having my first meal where i have to inject having my first snack and then it's like everything it's like if someone passed away in the family you always think okay this is the first halloween we have without miss x or my mom or my dad and then it's the first christmas and then as a diabetic, I felt, okay, here's the first Halloween where I actually can't get any snacks or do trick and treats. Here's the first night out that I actually have to be careful not to get low or get too high. So I'm just curious from your point of view, 
like how did you deal with the initial week or two adjusting to life as a diabetic because as you said and as i even was similar you spent 19 20 years of your life living one way and then suddenly just like that it's changed and it's it's not a case of oh i just change it every couple of weeks or so every day you're going to be reminded of what's basically demanded of you because of the illness you got yeah it was uh it was definitely difficult at the start to say the least it's interesting because it's you see the symptoms leading up to it but it's an overnight it's an overnight diagnosis you know what i mean one day you're diabetic and then the next day or one day you're not diabetic and then the next day you are and um, so it's a big shock and it's it only kind of hits home when you arrive back in your house and there's no doctors or nurses there and you're like oh shit i'm on my own here you know um exactly yeah but uh yeah i remember like when i was growing up um if there was anything kind of bad happening or you were going through a tough time my parents used to always say to me um whatever happens to you in your life and what you go through you either adapt or you die you know you've no control over what happens to you and what you do have control over is how you react and how you respond to things you know um so when i i remember when i arrived home just after being diagnosed i was like look this is a this is the time now where I need to put that into practice. Um, I really really need to kind of get over this and take it on the chin and realize that look, I didn't bring this on. I couldn't have done anything to prevent it. You just get it or you don't. It's bad luck. Um, that's type one. So yeah, I, I had to just kind of take it on the chin with that, you know. But it you you instantly change your life. Um, your whole lifestyle has changed. How you look at food. How you look at exercise even your sleep, your stress levels, everything is, is affected. Everything that you do will affect your diabetes and diabetes affects everything that you do. Um, but if I, was, if I was to look back now and if I was given the opportunity to never be diagnosed, I wouldn't take it. Because so much I'm doing now is stemmed from me having diabetes. And it's probably mad to say that, but um, yeah, like it, it was definitely hard, as you know, but you just you kind of you just roll with it. You you get used to things and you learn about it. You learn about how your diabetes is and how certain things affect your blood sugar and what you need to do to kind of keep things level and keep things healthy. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, it's a big lifestyle change, and I think even the bigger thing is like your family and friends almost being sympathetic towards it. You know what I mean? Which I hated. I always hated that. You know what I mean? People saying like, oh, wait, you can't eat that. Or are you sure you have enough insulin? Or like, are you feeling okay? Like, I know it comes from a good place in terms of people are looking after you. But uh, I never wanted people to have sympathy for me. You know what I mean? Never. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Because like when you get that diagnosis and the amount of kind of people who just become armchair doctors about what you can and cannot do is it's truly impressive in uh, its own right but no I suppose you're right like it's the type of illness that once you get it as in like there's no real option to feel sorry for yourself because as people who have it are aware you quite literally have to inject yourself multiple times a day back then the technology wasn't as good as it was so you'd be pricking your finger 10, 15 times a day. You just didn't have time to even think about what it was like before it happened. And then before you know it, you're getting little scars on the top of your fingers. You're getting hard skin and where you're injecting too much. And then just before you know it, that is all you know, so to speak. So it is one of those things that, and like, as you said, like looking back on it, as I said, it might sound the most hypocritical thing ever to be like, I don't regret getting it in the first place or would I go back and change it? To be honest, I think it's one of those things that if you embrace it, most people would be say they're better off when they actually got diagnosed because they made changes to their mental and physical a- like attitude towards life. And Absolutely. also, I don't want it to sound sappy or anything like that. And it's always, as you said, you don't want to be feeling sympathy or you don't want people to sympathize for you yes it's great that people care about you and they're to support you but like jesus christ there's still so much so much worse out there there's so much more less fortunate diseases people in far worse circumstances so 
like even my old man keeps reminding me, he goes, listen, you got, you got dealt a bad enough hand, but at least you're still in the game. So Thank it's you. a good way of putting it in relation to just, you know, it was a bit of a, a speed bump, but like you just got to keep going and get on with it. And that kind of leads me to just what I was going to ask you is, you've obviously used that to your benefit in some way, shape or form, because now you can promote the illness, you can influence people. You've got a, a strong enough following on Instagram. Like you're talking to tens of thousands of people through your, your social media. And like, you're giving quite a positive message out to people who like myself could be type one, or maybe other people who are just suffering from maybe illnesses. And the fact that, you can relate to them in one way, shape, or form. Can help sometimes inspire them. So, and like that got recognised there. I saw, and I must congratulate you on your trip to Hollywood for the Diabetes Male Fitness Influencer of the Year. Thank Quite you. a unique award, but a prestigious one at that. One I'd be jealous of. So, <laughs> with regards to yeah, with regards to that own, like, is is that quite a humbling position and position to be in? in which I'm sure you might get this all the time where people say, listen, you've helped me so much with my diagnosis. You've inspired me to make a change, whether it's physical or mental or be more positive. Like what's it like being in a position where you can actually actively influence people for the better, for the most part? Um, yeah, look, it's, it's amazing now. Um, and it's something I would never change, you know, and a couple of years ago, whenever I, I set up the Instagram page. It was I, I set it up casually, you know. I set it up because I had had diabetes for whatever, five, six years at that stage. And I had kind of found found formulas almost to live with it and get over it physically and get over it mentally and just kind of learn how to deal with it. Um, so I set up that page basically just to promote a healthy lifestyle with diabetes, you know, to, to show people that, yeah, you can be in good shape and you can, you can go to the gym and you can work hard and you can do whatever it is you want to do and whatever it is anybody else wants to do, you know? Um, and now don't like, don't get me wrong. It's not like I have a huge following, but that, that kind of grew over the years. And now obviously 95% of my followers are diabetic from all over the world. And, uh, I get messages daily from people who I've never met but have been following me for a long time and they say like I'm an inspiration to them and like what I do means a lot and getting messages like that really really means a lot to me you know what I mean and it's people that I've never met who are sending me these messages some like you'd nearly, you'd nearly be tearing up reading some of the stuff mm. that people send me you know what I mean and that really really means so much to me um and yeah, it was fantastic getting the award in, in Hollywood. It was, it was huge to me, and I'm delighted with it. You know what I mean? Um, that whole weekend was amazing because there, was, there were so many people doing similar things to me, um, well, doing similar things that I'm doing, and like maybe with uh, YouTube or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it may be. They're doing amazing things, and they're promoting a healthy lifestyle, and it's it's there's an amazing community online for diabetics you know what i mean and yeah i think only in recent years with the growth of like social media specifically it kind of gives people that opportunity to come online when they do really have a shit day and to see somebody else who's having a shit day in the same position as them you know and there's comfort in that knowing that like because like diabetes can be a very isolating disease because you're on your own, it's 24 hours a day. There's no rest from it, you know. Um, so when you can see other people from around the world going through the same thing, it's comforting. Um, yeah. And for for me personally to be kind of recognised for that, um, yeah, it was really really nice. It meant, it meant a lot to me, you know. And I actually said, you make a brief. I made a brief speech um, at the awards, and I said, if if you were to tell me whatever, eight years ago when I was lying in a hospital bed two days away from a coma that I'd be standing up here with an award in my hand for diabetes, I would have told you you were, you were mad. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's great. Like every day I talk to diabetics all over the world and the messages that they send me, like without sounding sound cheesy, they inspire me to keep, to keep doing it. You know what I mean? And now, like... 
I feel as if it's almost my obligation to kind of keep it going. And that's what I, when I briefly mentioned earlier, saying that if I was given the opportunity to never be diagnosed, I wouldn't take it. You know what I mean? Because this is now, I feel, what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Being involved in the diabetes community and promoting healthy, like promoting a healthy lifestyle with it and kind of just spreading a, uh, a positive message, I guess. You know what I mean? And mm. it's only, and when you talk to people who uh, have only been recently diagnosed and they contact you and they say like, I've, I've had diabetes only two weeks and their heads all over the place and they're lost and they don't know how to take it. And like, I had a, I had a great, I have a great family supporting me and that, that always kind of was in my favor with getting over things, but people always don't have that sort of, that sort of support. You know what I mean? So it's uh it's nice to for people like that to be able to kind of come online and talk to people like me or talk to people like you and hear these sort of podcasts, you know what I mean? Because Jesus, Richie, diabetes is hard sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, it certainly is. As much as you know that it can be really, really hard, you know what I mean? Um but you just kind you kind of have to take it on the chin and roll with roll with the punches, you know? There's no there's no alternative to that. You have to do it. You can't yeah. sit down and feel sorry for yourself, you know? No, completely. And that's why I relate back to the whole you don't really have time to dwell on it and, you know, get completely bogged down. But as you referred to, there are days where you sit there and you're just like, screw this. I don't want to keep checking my bloods. Why can't I not just go into spar and not have to take out a pen or why can't I not just eat that piece of food without having to run to a toilet or else inject in privacy, blah, blah, blah. Why can I not just have a few drinks without having to worry about X and Y? So there is that part of it. But like, as you said, it is, it is what molds you into the person you are and how you view things as well. And the most important thing I think as well is that it makes you grateful, a lot more grateful for what you have and also for what you don't have as well. But it's funny that you touched on it. Like diabetes is as much like a mental condition as it is a physical condition. You know what I mean? Um, and there's days, like you said, when you're, you're sitting at home and you're, you just want to give up on it and you're, you're being driven mad and your blood sugars are all over the place because your, your blood sugar affects your mood too. What, what I only, kind of, yeah. I only realized that through my own research like no doctor told me that, you know what I mean? And it's only when you live with it all the time that these sort of like kind of like the, the long-term and short-term effects kind of come to light and come to the surface when you learn more about it, you know what I mean? But it's one of those things that it toughens you up mentally, you know what I mean? And you, you learn how to be really disciplined because you need to treat your food seriously. You need to exercise you have to take your insulin. There's no other way around us. You, you just have to do it. I know. And I suppose a question I'd like to ask you is now that like you, you, you've now moved over to New York, you're doing your personal training. You're obviously, as you said, you're the current male fitness influencer of the year from a diabetic standpoint. <laughs> like uh, how many times are basically in the, I don't want to say, yeah, the industry you're in, there's so many fad diets, there's so many different people with the rules to success or secrets about the fitness industry, how to get ripped, etc. But like, do you ever get people or ever use it to your advantage in the whole personal training thing where you're kind of like, listen, I've, I've managed to stay in good enough, Nick. I have a few restrictions on what I can and can't do from a physical and even an eating point of view. Like, do you ever get working with clients or friends where they kind of get a bit inspired by what you've been able to achieve from a physical point of view and it kind of spurs them on or do they just slag you and just say, listen, I'm going to go to McDonald's instead. Uh, yeah. Well, there's definitely, there's definitely a good bit of slagging definitely from my friends and two older brothers. So, uh, they, they, uh, they definitely get, get the abuse in. And it's funny actually when I was diagnosed first, um, when I was in the hospital, my brothers arrived and they had obviously got news that I had been rushed into the hospital and the two of them stopped off in a shop and <laughs> brought, brought into the hospital 
uh, balls of coke and skittles and all this stuff. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like they they uh, they take the piss out of you, but but they're they're supporting at the same time. But yeah, of course, like people people will always take the piss out of you. It's like, oh, you can't eat sugar and this, that, and the other, you know. But uh, yeah, and then of course the personal training side of things. Um, the gym is obviously a big part of my life, and it hugely influences and benefits my uh, my overall diabetes management. And uh, yeah, people have said to me that it's inspiring to see somebody like me who has this, uh, we'll say a chronic illness and still be able to work hard in the gym and stay in good shape, you know? Sure, there's there's no excuses around it. If you want to do it, you're going to do it. Yeah, precisely. And that's actually, like, as I said, it's funny, I had a, a bit of a oh shit moment as in I was seeing my consultant that I'd see every six seven months for the diabetes and he was chatting to me about my diet chatting to me about my weight chatting to me about how much I drank did I ever have any cigarettes and then at the end of the meeting he was like listen you're not being living an unhealthy lifestyle but put it this way if you can make these small changes to your kind of life you honestly i'll tell you you're going to live an extra five or ten years at this rate and he goes i can't guarantee it but it's going to give you the best chance to do so and like i don't know you've probably heard of it could be another fad in your eyes but f45s i've become religiously obsessed with them over the last seven or eight months and i've gone from weighing in at uh dangerous 102 kilos to now i'm down to about 89 90 kilos so it's just stuff like that as in if i if i did not have diabetes there's not a chance i would have done that there's just simply no way i would have had that moment where i would have been like right this is actually it this is the day i make a change let's put you know plans into action here and make make a, a firm change because if you don't have a reason to do it and like an actual big reason i your health's going to be affected by it most people just go all right i I couldn't give a crap that's going to take effort that i just simply don't want to dedicate towards lifting weights or running on the treadmill so i do definitely relate to you and i suppose one of the last things i'd like to ask you so you met you mentioned there that you do see yourself hopefully you know inspiring fellow diabetics in years to come and as you said being passionate about the gym like, do you have any other ideas in your head that you'd like to potentially pursue in the years to come? Or, as you said, are you just living in the now, taking it day by day, much like the old illness does tend to do? Or do you have any kind of long-term ambitions that you'd like to see yourself achieve one day? Um, yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely uh, some long-term ambitions that I want to be, that I want to be reaching. I think now. Obviously, after this, after my diagnosis, I'm I'm well and truly uh, living in the diabetes world and how things have gone over the past year or two. That's what I will be doing for the rest of my life, and that's what I want to do. And it's kind of just growing as as I'm growing with the with the condition, really. But um, what I'd love to do um, is I'd love to kind of start speaking publicly about diabetes. I'd love to go into schools and I'd love to go into colleges. Um, and kind of give them my perspective and educate people more about it, you know, because diabetes still, even though it's worldwide an epidemic, um, it's widely, it's widely unknown by people. People don't, people don't know the details of it. They don't know what it entails. Um, and yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to go back to schools and colleges and speak about it, you know, because me and you were, we were diagnosed at a similar enough age. Um, so the chances are there's going to be a lot of people, 18, 19, 20, that are going to get it too in years to come. Um, so I'd love to, I'd love to go back and maybe do a few presentations and stuff in in various colleges or whatever, and spread spread the word as much as I can. Yes, yeah, spread the sugar free lifestyle, exactly. so to speak. Um, but no, that's that's definitely a noble idea and something that, as you said, and I think that is one of the most frustrating things I have personally anyway is, and it's too dismissive of me to say ignorance, but the lack of awareness is the best way to do it because the amount yeah. of times someone says, 
if they see me eating having a bloody like a fucking milky way they're like you can't have that i'm like yes i can or else if i go low and i'm shaking them being like oh will i get you your insulin i'm like no that will quite literally send me the other way I will do bits and bobs. Like, yeah, no, no, quite literally not see yeah. tomorrow morning. But have you it, any, it, 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 sorry, Richie, have you had any um, close calls in terms of like fainting or passing out or any of that? The closest I ever came was about three months ago in which I just about crawled up the stairs to my mother who was playing bridge at half two in the morning. <laughs> and I started kind of whispering because I was so weak. And I don't know why I didn't even go straight to the fridge because the fridge is at the bottom floor. But I crawled up to her and my it, I was so helpless that I just was like, LucasAid, LucasAid, LucasAid. And she was like, what? She thought I was messing. And I was like, no, LucasAid, LucasAid. And then she starts screaming, what the fuck? I started running downstairs, got the LucasAid. And I came back. But yeah, like... That's the closest I've come to being like, shit, need to go to hospital. But like, what was it, two nights ago, I woke up at half four, shaking, drenched in sweat and checking my blood. And it was, what, 3.1 and had to adjust my blood levels, ruined my sleep, made me pissed off at work for the first two or three hours. But like, that's simply just the nature of the beast. Like, I, I fully expect that to happen the odd time. It's the nature of the illness, but... Yeah, only one real proper, I'd say, like close call. That was this. Um, yeah. And what about yourself? Have you? I know one or two of my friends have had to go to hospital on nights out, and thankfully the friends who were there they were fully aware of how to deal with situations like that, and nothing serious came of it. Yeah. But um, yeah. What about yourself? Anything notable? Yeah. Notable. The. The worst one, now, I, I didn't even tell my parents this, so if they listen back to this, they were like, Jesus, why didn't you tell me? But uh, <laughs> my, uh, I, was out, I was out in Bray, actually, one night with my brother and my cousin and obviously had a few drinks, came back to the house, and I went straight to my dog because I love petting my dog when I have a few drinks on me. Yeah, who and doesn't? It, yeah, exactly. New love for your dog when you, when you have a few drinks. But anyway, <laughs> I, I was petting her. And uh, the next thing I remember, I just I just woke up to my to my cousin shaking me, and uh, she said I was lying on the floor and my lips were blue, and I checked my blood sugar and they were like well over twenty, which wow. I, I I hadn't even realised because um, you're less sensitive to the to the effects of a low blood sugar or the symptoms of a low blood sugar if you have a few drinks, you know, so it's kind of dangerous that way. Um, so she was like, Jesus, y- your lips were blue on the floor and you weren't moving. And now, thankfully, I woke up. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, that was that was the closest one. Other than that, not really. Just uh, a nighttime low blood sugar, you know, when you wake up and you, you have this uncontrollable hunger. You can't. Yeah, it's outrageous. You can't even describe it to somebody. So you'd be you'd be raiding the kitchen like you're a bear. And I remember <laughs> the, the lowest one I had. I got into the kitchen and I ate a full pack of Sour Patch Kids, an entire loaf of bread with a full with a full tub of Nutella, and like and like three packets of crisps, and then went back, went back to bed. Woke up, blood sugars through the roof. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but yeah, thank you. I've never had it too serious. Mm, yeah, no fingers crossed. Touch wood, etc. Yeah, better to be safe and sorry in those situations rather be a tiny bit too high than too low, but. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is gas. It's gas slash concerning, but you got to look <laughs> at the funny side of these things. Absolutely. So, just own the last thing I do with these podcasts, and um, it, they're normally quite brief and to the point, hopefully, is mm-hmm. just a quick fire round. Cool. So I'll just throw six or seven questions at you, and the first thing that pops into your head. You can say it. And I always give, it's a bit of like a term and condition with all the guests. If you do make some a complete fool out of yourself or say something that could be borderline illegal, we can always edit it out. <laughs> You'll probably need to do that. Yeah. So I'll start things off with the best gym you've ever been to. Uh, there was a college gym in Vancouver that I used to go to. 
I did a J1 in Vancouver. And great they, spot, yeah. Really, really nice gym. So, yeah, good memories there. Yeah. What's it called? Uh, Roxy's in Vancouver is. Uh, oh, yeah. I haven't heard yeah, that the, one. Cop- the, the coppers of uh, <laughs> Vancouver. Yeah, the, the country one, wasn't it? Yeah, completely. Uh, yeah. So, next one would be favorite film of all time. Uh, sorry, that beeping is my Dexcom going off again. No uh, favorite, favorite film, uh, Happy Gilmore. Classic. Great choice. Great choice. Very nostalgic. If you could work out with one person, who'd it be? Ooh. Oh, I don't know. Obama. For <laughs> <laughs> whatever reason. Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, he'd be inspirational in some way, yeah. shape, or form for me. And next one Crystal or Coppers? Uh, I've actually never been to Crystal, so I'll say Crystal so I can go over the first time. Okay, it would be the first and last if you've anything to go by based on my last few rants. But anyway, we'll park it there or else I'll be here all night. So, the strangest thing you've ever seen in a gym? Uh, An old lady wearing a bra and very, 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 very worryingly short shorts <laughs> it was quite disturbing. oh and second last one best part about being a diabetic meeting so many other diabetics and being able to speak to them okay and last but not least and this is the toughest one by far sum yourself up in three words Ooh. Uh, let's see um, ambitious, empathetic, and hilarious. <laughs> they'll have, have, have to do, yeah. Thanks for yeah, the laugh. It will have to do. Yeah, I'll give you a, just a pity laugh because if I said nothing there, it would have been horribly. I could have just left just a prolonged silence for about 20 seconds after <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't do that to you. So. That more or less wraps it up, Owen. I can't thank you enough for, you know, scheduling this. We've been sending each other and dropping each other into each other's DMs for the last few days. So to finally get this done and sourced is, um, it means a lot to me personally, but then also with all the promotion going on about Movember and mental health, I think it's important not only just to look out for the diabetics out there in the world and hopefully they can listen to this and enjoy it and take something from it, whether that's good, bad or indifferent, but also just, I think, raising awareness about, you know, the good and bad about everyone's day-to-day lives is very important. And that's something I'm looking to do in the next podcast or two. So the fact you came on, spoke so openly about your experiences, whether they were good or bad about being a diabetic, it, it means a lot to me and hopefully the listeners will enjoy it. So I can only thank you for coming on and, yeah, I look forward to keeping tabs on the old Instagram stories and seeing what's what awaits you down the road. Yeah, absolutely, Richie. Um, really appreciate it. I know, yeah, as you say, we've been trying to get this going for a few days. So great to talk to you. And um, yeah, it's always it's always good to talk to another diabetic. And as you say, hopefully this will reach a few out there too. So thanks a lot. Absolutely no bother. <laughs>